Thank you for listening to Lone Star Community Radio. This program was broadcasted and recorded live from the LSCR studios in downtown Conroe, Texas. Lone Star Community Radio is supported by listeners like you. Donate and sponsor today. For more information on getting involved with Lone Star Community Radio, contact us at lscrstudios at gmail.com or visit us online at www.irlonestar.com. Welcome to Veterans Air, the Veterans Hour, your source for news, talk, and uncensored commentary here on the Lone Star Community Radio. I'm your host, Douglas B., and along with my sometimes co-hosts, you can listen to us live the first Tuesday of every month at 1 p.m., and you also can listen to us on veteransair.us, Facebook, iTunes, and all the other places Dick puts us at. Um... As always, we're going to do a little housekeeping before we start. You can contact Veterans Air through the website, www.veteransair.us. Um, you can leave us a message, drop us an email, or you can even, better yet, text us in the studio on our Google phone at 936-344-3083. Well, it is April, and I'm a little early this year, but... As the show goes along, you'll find out why. Today, we're going to talk about preparedness. Preparedness not only for the upcoming hurricane season, which starts in two months, but also about what's going on in the world today. Gas prices, if you haven't noticed, are out of control. They're skyrocketing. Inflation is out of control. Some food commodities aren't making it to the store shelves. And on top of all that, President Biden just told America to brace itself for food shortages. Food shortages in America? Um, Food shortages I just can't wrap my head around. When did America come dependent upon Russia and the Ukraine to feed us? Seriously, somebody come and explain this to me. With all that's happening... I thought now would be a good time to talk about being prepared. Those that know me personally know that, among other things, I am a half-assed prepper. Half-assed prepping means that you are prepared for emergencies, not the total collapse of society or the zombie apocalypse, but somewhere in between. If you've met me, you know that I don't go anywhere without my get-home bag. My get-home bag has everything I need to get home. Money, Leatherman flashlight, tactical pen, K-bar, spork, Wi-Fi, power bank, my personal protective weapon, etc., and etc. It's not very big. It's no personal bag. And its purpose is to get me from wherever I'm at back home. Thus the name, get-home bag. I think everyone should have a get-home bag. Um, Because you never know where you'll be or what you need. So put it in your get-home bag to get you home. Remember the motto here, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Now, I get my get-home bags from Red Rock Outdoor Gear. And you'll find the links to everything I'm going to talk about today below or above or whatever it is they do show up on whatever media you're listening to. 
I am not endorsing any of these products. I'm not selling any of these products. I don't get a kickback, kickback from any of the companies. These are just things that I use to remain prepared. As I've said, I'm prepping, and I want to, to share with you what I've learned. And as always, like I said, check the links above and below. And you can even download the transcript of this show with all the links um, on veteransair.us. Go over to the archives, and you'll be able to download that PDF. Engineer Dick, did you bring enough food for everyone? You didn't, did you? I see how you are. Um, now, most of you know that, what, three years now? Three years ago, um, my home was flooded. Woke up, had four to six inches of, of water in the house. And then two years ago now, or one year ago now, um, we had bursted pipes over the freeze. And that totally took out the kitchen water all over the place. It wasn't very pretty. Um, so I started taking a look at what was in my hurricane box. And we do this hurricane preparedness once a year during hurricane season. And I come in, give you little tips of what things that I find and what lessons that I've learned. And the flood and the bursted pipes taught me very hard and expensive lessons. So I want to share with you today the things that I found that helped me out. First and foremost, I want to talk about power. Power is something that most of us take for granted, and it's only when we need it or we start playing with the notion of living off the grid do we realize we are in no way ready for that step. In the immortal words of Captain Jack Sparrow, there are things a man can do and things a man can't do. Something we all can do is get a generator. Now, before you run out and get the biggest, cheapest one that you can find, you're going to need to ask yourself some questions about this generator. First question, do I need a standby generator? Or will a portable generator work? Standby generators start around two grand, but then you have to pay for the prep and the installation. And before you know it, all this could quickly add up to over $10,000. I know, I've priced them out. Portable generators, on the other hand, tend to be cheaper, but it requires you to maintain it. If you maintain your generator, it'll be available for you when you need it. Now, personally, I have portable generators as that works best for me in my situation. Next question that you have to ask if you're going with a, a generator is what to use for fuel. If you are doing a whole house standby generator, your fuel choices are going to be propane or natural gas. Portable generators, on the other hand, are um, you have a number of different choices. You can use gas, you can use propane, 
You can even use natural gas these days or a combination thereof. For me and what I do, what I use my generators for, and I have two of them, um, I chose to go with a dual fuel, propane and gasoline. This system of dual fuel, and some systems have all three fuels, um, gives you a lot more flexibility and a lot more ease of storing fuel. For my generators, I chose a company called Champion Equipment. I've been using Champion for years now. I've gone through Hondas and Power Maxes and all the rest. And I found Champion works really great for what I use it for. And they're a very easy company to work with. Like I said, I have dual fuel, gasoline and propane. So thinking about gasoline, you can store gasoline for about six months with a stabilizer. And then it starts to go bad, starts turning into kerosene, if you will. So that presents a problem for long-term storage. Propane, on the other hand, you can go out and get a propane tank. You can get one of the little barbecue tanks and whatnot and store it, and it'll last for years and years and years. As long as you don't open it up, you're good to go. The last question that you need to ask yourself about generators is, what do you really need to run, and how long do you need to run that? Unlike a standby generator that clicks on automatically when the power goes out, with a portable generator, you have to start this bad boy up and start plugging in extension cords. A, a portable generator is not meant to run your entire house. I know somebody out there is saying, Doug, that's not true. Well, for the most part, it is. But when you start moving up into like 10K um, generators like we have for the, for the farm there, um, they're really not portable. <laughs> you got to have them on a big trailer. Um, attempting to hook up one of the smaller portable generators to your house will result in two things. One, you're going to break the generator, or two, you're going to start a fire. Your house is not equipped to handle power from a generator. It's just not. You need a special circuit box and the whole nine yards. And these portable generators, unless they're daisy-chained, won't run your house. So when looking for a generator, you have to decide... How much power do I need? And to do that, you walk around your house and say, what do I need to run? Turn them over, look in the back, build a little data plate, and it'll tell you how many watts you need. You add all those things up, and that'll tell you how big of a generator you need. Now, that's not everything. There are certain, because when you look at a portable generator, you have... Cranking watts and running watts. Here's the difference. Cranking watts are what the generator can produce in short spurts. And you need to be aware of this because you have appliances that this will affect. Your coffee maker, 
your microwave, refrigerator, freezer, all those things, when they kick on, they suck up a lot more juice. And you can do harm to your other electronics that are running on the generator or to the generator itself or to the appliance that you're attempting to run if you have not compensated for that. So when you're adding up all your watts, look at the data plate very carefully and see, does this have cranking watts or starting watts? Also, because those are the numbers that you need to know when you go to get your generator. You're going to buy a generator that will handle all the things that you need to run their wattage and all the things that you need to run with their cranking or starting wattage. Because you're going to be really upset if you get a generator out there that gets, you know, a 2,000-watt generator, and all of a sudden you plug in your coffee maker and it doesn't make you coffee. That's going to upset you. So you need to do a little research on these. Now, the next thing that I looked at in my hurricane box was because of something that's happened to my house. Three years ago, we flooded. We had four inches of water in the house, totally trashed the house. From the floor up to three feet, all the doors, furniture, the whole nine yards. Well, I knew that there was a possibility to flood, but listening to the weather reports, I wasn't too concerned. That wasn't what happened three years ago. What happened is we got 16 inches of rain. Where I live in my development, we didn't have a flooding problem per se, with this exception. The way that the community is graded, it's an older community back from the 80s, and they've done nothing to, to keep it up. The water runs down the street right into my driveway. And it's getting worse. It's getting worse because they're building all up and down Foster Road. Brand new communities going in, a homeless shelter's going in, and all of these things that they're allowing to put in, there's no drainage for. So what was once woods and could handle the drainage from the street is now going to be cement and there's no way for it to go. And I'm betting that it comes into my driveway real quick in a hurry. Well, I had been using for years different methods to control water runoff from the street. And, and, and I, want to, I want to talk to you about the methods that I've used. First up is something known as a quick dam. Now, quick dams are sandbags. Here. Here's a quick dam. It's just a piece of fabric with some chemical gel material inside it, and when it gets wet, it puffs up to a, a sandbag. And since we're all veterans here, we know sandbags are great. And these work great too. But there's two cons with these. First is they're about three and a half inches high when fully expanded. Um, you have to expand, you have to soak these way before you're expecting a flood because it takes a number of hours for 
these sandbags to fill up. And the second thing is that it, the, the, it's supposed to be reusable. And in theory, it is. This gel material inside of it, when you take away the water and it starts to evaporate, it turns back into crystals. That takes months upon months of stacking it in your garage because they tell you, don't expose this to harsh sunlight. And again, they're about three, three and a half inches high, and you can stack two to three of them high. Anything more than that, the gel oozes out through the pores in the, in the fabric. The, the other thing that I used, and I use these now almost exclusively, I use the quick dams um, to put sandbags in front of my, my external doors so the water doesn't get in there. Um, is something from a company called Hydra Barrier. Now, Hydra Barriers um, is kind of unique idea about keeping water out. You fill them up with water beforehand, with your garden hose, you fill them up. And these come in different lengths. They come from um, in 20 foot, 12 foot, 6 foot, and 4 foot lengths, and you can link them together. And as far as height goes, you can get them in 6 inch, 12 inch, in, oh no, I was wrong. I can't read my own writing. They come um, in lengths of 6 foot, 12 foot, 24, and 50 foot. 24 is what you need to go across your garage, by the way. And the heights range from 4, 6, 12, and as, and as high as 20 inches high. These are semi-permanent barriers. You fill them up with water. When the, the flood is gone, everything's dry. You undo the hose attachment and drain off all the water that was in there, roll them up, and put them away. I like these. These are a lot more sturdy and easier to deal with than the quick dams. This I use in front of my garage door and at the end of my driveway to stop the water from the street running into my driveway and into my garage and then into the house. Now, that's not everything that you have to control flooding. And if you think that you may flood, and a lot of us do, or that because of the, the development in Montgomery and Conroe, we're building so much that you may, an area that was previously dry may now become prone to flooding. Or you may have standing water on your property and you want to get rid of that standing water. I present to you with this little beauty. It's called a water bug and it's from Wayne Pumps. This little thing is fantastic. When my house flooded and I had four to six inches in the entire house, I hooked this up and it drained the entire house in like two hours. Sucked it all up. I have a dip in my front yard that always fills with water. 
and I'm always trying to get that water out of there because I don't want mosquitoes. This little water bug pumps out that puddle just fine. And by the way, you can get them for under 100 bucks. Um, I use rainwater for my gardens. Well, at the end of the year, I want to get rid of all that water that's in the rain barrels and wash them out. This little baby, this will empty a 35-gallon um, rain barrel with a 50-foot hose attached to it in about 40 minutes. Yeah, they work that good. Being prepared for these disasters is a good idea. Not only is it a good idea, it's prudent to do this. And remember what I say, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Pay attention to the weather reports. Hurricanes coming. Hey, out comes my hydro barriers. Start soaking my, uh, my quick dams. Set up my water bugs. So all I have to do is plug it in. And I can, you know, be reasonably comfortable that I'm not going to flood again. Because let me tell you, that sucked. The next thing that you want to prepare for is light. So you have a generator, but you only have light as long as that generator is running. And you can have alternate light sources. You can have candles. You can have lanterns. You can have, have flashlights. But there again, those things require fuel and batteries. I stumbled across something just recently that, that I wasn't quite sure how it would work out, but I was willing to spend the money to check it out. On my previous shows, um, when I was doing hurricane preparedness, um, I showed you a little camp stove from a company called um, BioLite Energy. And I liked it because not only would it, you know, be a stove and boil water, cook things, but it also um, would charge my phone and my devices because it uses the technology of uh, um, pyrothermodynamics. This company came out with something else. And let me, let me pull this out. Can you guys see that? Oh, wait a second. I'm supposed to be showing it over here, aren't I? I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move some stuff out of the way. Um, this little kit here comes with, with four lights, um, and it's rechargeable because it is a solar generator device for the lights. I'm going to unpack this real quick and show you the controller unit for this. Now, I, I fully tested this. I got it uh, 
got it last week, about 10 days ago, and I started testing it out. This is the controller unit for it. It controls the lights. It comes with, if I can get it out, Are you all deaf now? It comes with a six watt solar panel. You connect the solar panel to the controller unit and then you plug the lights into the controller unit. Now these lights, and there's three of them, they have an 18 foot cord on them. So you daisy chain them together to get lighting in multiple rooms. And this little thing controls it all. This is, well, I'm going to turn it up high. The control unit also comes with a light. So you actually have four lights. And you're asking yourself, all right, I can do that with a candle. They're a little bit brighter than the candle because they're like 120 looms. Um, and the lights are dimmable. Each one, you know, you can control by a switch. It comes with a switch attached to it and so forth and so forth. But this little unit here, not only does it have a light and control all the other lights, it has an FM radio with an antenna. And it has a little SD slot has a little SD slot to add your music to it. And as you see, it has two USB ports to charge your phones. So in my testing, the first thing that I did was I fully drained the battery and then I recharged it. The company says that, that you can recharge the whole thing in about seven to eight hours using just this little solar panel. That's true to a point. The company, BioLite Energies, um, you'll find on their website, their mission is to bring um, energy, independent energy sources to um, economically disadvantaged individuals in Kenya. So their products are in about 40,000 homes in Kenya. Now in Kenya, if you take this little solar panel and you mount it to your roof, you have a lot of sunlight, a lot of power. It can charge it in seven hours. Here in Texas, it took me two days to get a full charge. Would it be able to charge up in seven hours? Yes, but it's March. And the sun moves, ooh, sorry, you're all deaf now? The sun moves quickly from one end of the sky to the other. And you have to be out there changing your, the angle in order to keep the sunlight on it and charging. So it took me two days to fully charge it. I said, okay, it's fully charged, let's test it out. So I tested it out. The lights, these lights, if you have all of them on, and the FM radio, you get anywhere from 8 to 11 hours of light and music. That's a lot. 
I don't understand what that means. Huh? Oh, this camera. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I had two cameras today. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, the, the kit that I got, and there's a link below, also came with four of these beauties. Now, I thought this was kind of ingenious, and, and I liked it. These are their handheld lights or table lights that replace a candle. They also have a solar charger on the back. And they have different lighting modes that you can use. You can make it dim, you can make it bright. And these also, if on, on the lowest setting, by the way, what I'm showing here, these will last 50 hours. 50 hours. How do I know? I tested it. Um, this is a, a great little system to ensure that you have light at your homestead. Um, if we don't go for a full generator, if you think that's too much for me. Let's say, for example, you're living in an apartment. Can't have a generator on your balcony, can you? Of course not. What do you do? You have uh, a little solar light system here, so you're not without light. The kit is called the Solar Home 620, and you can find the link below. I want to talk to you about something that you probably don't even consider in preparedness, and that's your medication. A lot of us are on medication. A lot of us are on a lot of medication. And you get those medications in 30-day supplies. Back during one of the hurricanes, um, it came time to renew the meds, but there was no place to renew them. VA was closed. All the drugstores and everything were closed. Luckily, um, HEB came to the rescue and said, hey, if you need a prescription, bring in the prescription bottle. We'll give you a three-day supply. And they did, luckily. But we're talking about being prepared. There's no reason that you can't go to your doctor and say, I would like to get a 90-day supply of this, this meds um, instead of a 30-day supply. And if it's not a controlled substance, you know, like, like morphine or heroin or crack cocaine or, you know, all that other good stuff, you can get a 90-day prescription for them. This way, y'all always have it. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Where am I, about a half hour? I'm just cranking right through these things. Remember, check the links above or below or to the side or wherever you happen to be viewing this or listening to it to get the links to all of these products that I'm using here today. The last thing I would like to touch on today um, for preparedness is food. I do not believe President Biden when he says that our America will have food shortages. Farmers are still farming, ranchers are still ranching. The truth is that America 
does not need to buy fertilizer or food from Russia or the Ukraine. We do so because it is more expedient to do so and because federal and state laws and EPA regulations make it necessary. But we can always change those laws. Do you know that we buy wheat from the Ukraine? Wheat! We buy it from the Ukraine. I know what you're thinking now. Doug, I remember as a little boy, as a little girl, going on trips with my family, and we'd pass acres and acres and acres of wheat waving in the wind. A lot of that acreage has been turned over to corn. Why are we planting so much corn? Ethanol laws. We can change them back. We change them once, we can change them again. But I digress a little bit. Um, we're going to talk about food and food storage. Because food is about to get really, really expensive. It's already started. Some products you can't even get because, you know, there's so few of them that they get bought up and the shelves are bare. There is a difference between hoarding and storage. Storage is done with forethought. Hoarding is done by emotion. The pandemic came and everybody ran out and we had a shortage of toilet paper because for some reason they thought that was the thing that they needed to be hoarding. I don't believe in hoarding, but I do believe in preparedness. So I took a look around, look around the house, talk to my wife. On any given day, we have about two months of food between canned goods, dried goods, and what's in the freezer and fridge. That's pretty good. But what happens if all of a sudden, as Biden is predicting, we can't get those things that we're used to getting? That's where you have to start thinking about storage. When I say storage, I'm talking long-term. Years, sometimes decades, you can store some of this stuff. I do think that foodstuffs will become much more expensive, so I'm storing food. Notice that I said storing and not hoarding. There's a big difference. Brother Johnny, you, you've, he's been on the show numerous times. Brother Johnny got me into food storage last February when I was up in upstate New York with him as he was going through some, some, some medical procedures. And we were snowed in at the farmhouse. And he started preparing meals in mason jars. And I asked him just exactly what he was doing. Well, he bought a whole mess of chickens because it was on sale. And now he was prepping that chicken and putting it into mason jars and canning it. And it'll be good on his shelves in the house for, you know, a year or two. I never even thought about canning. But canning is a process. You need some things to do for canning. 
need a, a, a pressure canner, um, which is not a pressure cooker. It's a different type of pot. Pressure canning. You need some mason jars, and you need to know what you're canning and how to can it because not everything can be canned. The other side to that food storage preparation of canning is dry goods storage. Now, when it comes to food storage for dry goods, what you're going to store is going to depend how it is that you prepare it to be stored. Once you start looking around and thinking about what it is that you need, that will determine your method of the storage. And one of my go-to resources for what to store and how to store this is, believe it or not, the Church of Latter-day Saints. Yes, they are a recognized expert on food storage. Um, so we're going to talk about dry storage today. And like I said, I got my information from the U.S. USDA and the Church of Latter-day Saints. Thank you so much. That's just for you, Lucas. Um, all you really need to store dry goods, like flour, oats, salts, beans, etc., is a Mylar bag. Well, you need a Mylar bag, and you need an oxygen absorber. And I'm gonna I'm gonna point to the to the right camera this time. Can you see that? That's a Mylar bag. These are one gallon size zipper, Ziploc Mylar bags. And inside of one of these bags is where you put your food. And depending how much you're putting in there, you put in one or more oxygen absorbers. The enemy of dry goods storage is oxygen, moisture, and light. This is why you use a Mylar bag and an oxygen absorber. Newsflash, your food storage, your vacuum sealer, is not meant to store food long term. If you suck all the air out of something, seal it, put it on your shelf, and, and go back a year later, you will find that air, oxygen, has actually permeated, permeated, permeated it, whatever it is, through that plastic food storage bag. It's not airtight. When I go to store foods, the food that I put in these storage containers, these storage bags, they're going to last anywhere from 10 to 30-plus years. 10 to 30-plus years. For me, personally, I chose a heavy-duty bag, and these are 7.4-millimeter-thick, one-gallon Ziploc Marlar bags. I wanted something extra thick when thinking about how I'm going to be storing these and how I'm going to be using these. In an ideal situation, you would be storing them in a cool, dark place. I don't have a cool, dark place. I, I live in a community. I don't have a root cellar. If I did, I'd be using it. 
So I'm going to put them in a tote, uh, Rubbermaid tote thing and stick them in my closet. I chose a Ziploc type bag because I may use, I may need to get into these and only use a portion of it so I can reseal it. In a Mylar bag, to make it oxygen tight, you have to seal the ends. And sealing the ends are very, very easy. You just take an iron, run across the end, and it seals it, and you're good to go. The Mylar bags come in a number of different sizes. The oxygen absorbers come in a number of different sizes. This happens to be a 300cc oxygen absorber, and you need two of these in one of, this, one of these Mylar bags when storing things like rice and flour. Well, oh, you might be asking, well, Doug, what did you decide that you were going to store? I decided that I was going to store 25 pounds of enriched white flour, that I was going to store 25 pounds of white long grain rice, a white rice. And uh, I stored um, oatmeal, Quaker Oats oatmeal, um, salt, baking soda. I still got to pick up some baking powder. Um, and 30 pounds of sugar. Is everybody just draw drop? 30, what are you going to do with 30 pounds of sugar? It's exactly what my wife said when I came home with it. What are you going to do with 30 pounds of sugar? We're cutting sugar out of our diet because you're a diabetic and you're buying 30 pounds of sugar? Yes. And I'll tell you why. I'm buying 30 pounds of sugar because if, if it gets bad, if the food shortages get bad, I can trade sugar for something else. It's kind of like Brother Johnny said when he said, if you have the opportunity to purchase ammunition, buy it, even if you don't have that caliber, because you can always trade it for something. So I will trade my 30 pounds of sugar for something that I need, should it get bad. Um, it was easy to process these things. I took the bag, placed it on a scale, filled it up with rice, whatnot, pushed the air out, put some oxygen absorbers in it, and boop, there they are. They're laying on my living room floor waiting to become a brick. Because if you put enough oxygen absorbers in these bags, they will suck down, suck all the oxygen out, and you'll be left with a thin little brick like this. Makes it much, much easier to store. Um, do I have time to do my uh, all wars Ukrainian thing? Seven minutes. Okay, I can do that in seven minutes. So if you want any more information, give me a call. Better yet, text me, 936-344-3083, and I'll get you into a news group or whatnot and get you all the info that you need. Lastly, today I want to talk about the war in the Ukraine. Right now you're looking at a, a photo of all wars are created equal with, uh, with Miss Chelsea there looking kind of mean. I send that out to all of our elected officials because maybe they don't know about war. Because listening to our elected officials, I've come to the conclusion that the Ukraine elected a comedian and got a president, and America elected a president and got a clown. That's right, I said it. 
That may be harsh, but it doesn't make it wrong. Look, the truth is that the Ukraine never was a democracy. And keep saying that it is doesn't make that true either. That is not to say that what Russia is doing is justified in any way because it's not. I think America should support the Ukraine with whatever we can afford to give them. But at the end of the day, the Ukraine is not part of NATO, nor does America have an arms agreement or defense agreement with the Ukraine. <clears throat> this is not our war. If you want to go fight, then go. And I think that America should support the warriors and help the warriors that want to volunteer to be boots on the ground. But we cannot get involved in this war with our armed forces. Right now, Dick is displaying another beautiful photo, and this photo is from Maria. I want to support the Ukrainian people. I'm a warrior just like you, and I've been there and I've done that, so I know the cost of war. The cost of war not only for our veterans, but the cost of war for the people that have to live through that. I want to support the Ukrainian people. They inspire me. America, take a good look, good hard look at the Ukrainian people. They are fighting for their country. They are fighting for their homes. They are acting like Americans should act. If you want to support the Ukrainian people and get some cool art in the bargain, then go on over to proust.texasgrace.com, link above or below, and follow the link to Maria, Ukrainian Angel. 100%, 100% of the profits go directly to World Central Kitchen Chefs for Ukraine. And you can check their link above or below. A worthy organization with boots on the ground feeding Ukraine. Well, I'm going to make my time today, Dick. And I guess that's all I have to say today. Um, I'm around if you need me. You know how to get hold of me. 936-344-3083. I'll be bopping back and forth between here, Corpus Christi, and Bernie, Texas for the next month or so. So catch me when you can. Coming up on future shows, we have... Uh, we have our friend Steven Zogel, the CPA guy. We have Mark Kehoe, county judge. Um, we have an insurance person from United Healthcare coming in to talk to us. So stay tuned for future shows. And always check us out on Facebook at veteransair.us or our website, veteransair.us. I want to leave you today with this awesome song by the Warrior Song Project. You can go download it from veteransair.us or iTunes. And while we're listening to this, let us remember our brothers and sisters in uniform that today are standing for our freedoms and our liberties. If you are wearing the uniform, I want to say to you, thank you. I want to tell you, I'm proud of you. 
Until next month, stay safe and stay vigilant. We're going to murder them.